Let me pray. Father, Lord, may my words be from you. May your spirit be controlling everything that is said. And may we honour you. And may we respond to what your word says to us the way you would have us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And what Paul means by that is that the king has commissioned his people to make his appeal of reconciliation to the world through us. God is making his appeal to the world through us, his church. And it's a massive calling, isn't it? And if we're honest, we're probably not very good at it. We've probably failed God a little bit. We've probably failed in those opportunities to to share the gospel, to uh, proclaim the good news. Often the reason is, is that we know that it's hard. Have you ever thought of that? We are Christ's ambassadors. That's a massive calling, isn't it? That has been placed on you and me. It can be painful at times. It can single us out. It can cause opposition. It can make us different in the world. We might even suffer for being ambassadors of Christ. But what we cannot escape is that this is the Christian's calling, to be ambassadors of Christ. We can't be bystanders in this. We can't just rest on our salvation. Well, I'm saved, so I'm alright. We aren't bystanders. We are all participants, if we are a Christian, of being an ambassador of the Lord Jesus. The King has commissioned His people to make his appeal of reconciliation to the world. Well, we're given a picture of this type of calling and the hardship of it in tonight's passage in Exodus. Exodus chapter 5 all the way through to chapter 7, verse 7. We see the hardship of being an ambassador for God, a spokesman for God. We see the importance of speaking God's word faithfully. We see the response of those opposed to God's message. We see the people discouraged and struggling to trust the God who covenanted themselves to them. Who covenanted himself to them, sorry. So I think we should see ourselves in Exodus chapter 5, verses 1, all the way through to chapter 7, verse 7. We should see the church here. We should see a picture here of the opposition that we face. It's a massive narrative. So we'll take chapter 5 on its own, chapter 6 all the way up to 27, then 28 verses uh, 28 through to 7, 7 as one as well. So the first thing, chapter 5, when things don't go to plan. Chapter 4, if you remember, ends in such a great positive way. Moses' faithfulness results in fruitfulness, doesn't it? He declares the word of God to the elders of Israel. He performs the signs that he's been told to do. And what is the result? Verse 31, they believe. And when they heard, 
they bowed down and worshipped. They bowed down and worshipped. You see, faithfulness usually ends in fruitfulness. That's normally the way it works, isn't it? It's a biblical pattern. Jesus teaches us that as Christians in John 15, doesn't he? Remain in me, and I'll remain in you, and if you remain in me, you're going to bear fruit. If you don't remain in me, you're not going to bear fruit. Faithfulness generally leads, usually, normally leads to fruitfulness. But in chapter 5, we can add another principle. Fruitfulness can come after delay, discouragement, and even pain. In verses 1 to 5 of chapter 5, Moses and Aaron finally go to Pharaoh. They go and proclaim God's word to them. Now, scholars argue uh, that they don't faithfully declare what God commanded back in chapter 3, verse 18. You can flick over to that on the other side of the page. The elders of, uh, the, the elders of Israel will listen to you, then you, and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Is that exactly what he says? Well, Moses says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, say, Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. So scholars argue, say, well, actually, Moses isn't really faithfully proclaiming exactly what God says, but I don't know. And I don't know whether that really is the true focus in these verses. The focus seems to be, either way we look at it, Moses and Aaron proclaim God's word to Pharaoh, and he says no. Pharaoh's, I don't know, in verse 2, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. It's not that he doesn't know who Yahweh is to these Hebrews, to these Israelites, but actually, this I don't know is an act of defiance against his claims and ignorance of his identity. God, I don't know who he I don't know who he is. It's a flippant way of saying Nah, I don't bow down to any God. They, they press further, don't they? If you don't allow this, God's going to punish you. Yet Pharaoh's arrogance is deepened. His concern is not some divine God, but lack of work. You see, the bolder Moses gets, the sort of stronger Pharaoh gets in his defiance. He denies their claims because he is in control. He is the king. That's why in verses 6 to 18 we see this picture of rebellion and tyranny by Pharaoh. We see the sinfulness of his heart that is exposed in verse 2. Who is the Lord? Who is this Yahweh, the great I am, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know him and I will not let Israel go. What does he do? He increases the workload. He increases the workload of these Egyptian slaves. He causes more oppression. He sees this God as an excuse, verse 8, not to work. He says a couple of times, you're just lazy, you lot, you want a way out. And Moses doesn't expect this level of opposition from Pharaoh. After all, he was doing what God told him to do, wasn't he? He was being faithful, why wasn't he seeing the fruit? Why didn't he just say yes? Well, Pharaoh shows his, his clever tactics 
to cause unrest, to make it even harder for Moses. We see that in verse 9. He does it again when the Israelite foreman go and speak to him in verses 15 and 16. Laziness, that's all you lot are. You see, the people have been given this glimmer of hope by Moses. And now he's been exposed as just a liar. It's just lies. It's just lies. And the result is that actually the treatment gets worse. And God's people feel even more under oppression. And it works, verses 19 to 21. The foreman declares God's judgment on Moses and Aaron. Do you remember that? What did he say? May the Lord, may Yahweh look on you and judge you. They want God to judge Moses and Aaron for all that they have done. They believe death is the result for them. You put a, a sword in their hand to kill us. You've killed us off, Moses. Yeah, you're doing a great job, you are. You've killed us off. You know, we should see similarities here to the Christian life. Not the fact that there's a pharaoh involved, or it's ancient Egypt, or slavery. But often, when we believe we are doing God's work, Oh, and we set out faithfully to do it. Doesn't always go to plan, does it? It doesn't always go to plan. Have you ever felt like that? You, you, you think you're doing something for God. You think you're serving God. You, you might believe that God's called you to do something. Do you know what? He might well have done, but it doesn't go to plan. And you're left sort of scratching your head saying, God, well, I thought that, I thought that this was going to work. I thought that my ministry was going to succeed. Well, well, why isn't it happening? Why aren't I seeing any fruits? Why do all I seem to be met with are setbacks, are frustrations, is pain and suffering? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever felt like that? I know I have. So what does Moses do? He does what we all need to do in this situation. He turns to the Lord in prayer. Verses 22 and 23. You know, there's nothing wrong with asking God why when we don't understand. As long as we are committing our faithfulness to him, to his word and his will. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. You see, Moses feels as if Pharaoh has brought evil to God's people and the situation's worse. But he's not got a great memory, has he not? Because God told Moses that this would happen. Just as Jesus told his disciples... To expect hatred and opposition for the sake of the gospel. But you see, we like Moses are not told when it will happen. Moses didn't know when it would happen. So when it did, it came as a shock. I've kept up my end of the bargain, Lord. 
Why haven't you? Now you see, Moses, in his understanding of what God has said, expected it all to work out just right. And so often as Christians we feel like that. When we set out to do something, we say we're going to have a mission, we, we, we say we're going to start these ministries, and it's going to be good, and it's going to be successful, and people are going to be helped, and people are going to be saved, and it doesn't work out according to plan. And sometimes we feel like we turn around to God and say, well, I've kept up my end of the bargain. Lord, why haven't you kept up yours? God never says he'll work in our time scale. He never says he'll work exactly how we want him to work. He'll work in his perfect ways, his perfect time scale. What he calls us to do, like he called Moses to do, is to be faithful. So let's move on to chapter 6, verses 1 to 27. We may have to read a little bit of more scripture here. The plan of the Saviour. The plan of the Saviour. The genealogies of uh, Moses and Aaron in verses 14 to 25 are to preserve them, verse 26, in the sort of chronicles of history. They're the ones the Lord used to bring his people out of Egypt. And also that Aaron's sons would become the heads of the priestly line in Israel. It's a sort of honour in them that you often see throughout the Old Testament. But in verses 1 to 8, God responds to Moses in really the most glorious way. What does he do? He tells Moses everything he already knows. He tells Moses everything he already knows. You know, I've said it so often before, but with Christians, they hear the gospel, they believe the gospel, and then forget about the gospel. And then they sort of wonder why they need to hear the gospel again. Why are we preaching the gospel again in church? We know all that. Yet here God preaches the gospel to Moses as a way of encouraging Moses. As a way of comforting Moses. Let's look through it briefly. What does he do? He makes it personal. He reminds Moses that he is in control and that he is acting by his mighty hand. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. He keeps repeating this to Moses because Moses isn't the sharpest cookie in the, the jar, is he? He repeats it in verse 2, verse 6, verse 8. I am the one, Moses, who's going to do all this. I will take you as my people. I'm going to lead people out. I'm going to do the work. And he keeps encouraging Moses. Firstly, he reveals himself to Moses in verse 2. Then he remembers his covenant in verses 4 to 5. He reaffirms his promise to save his people, verse 6. That he will redeem them. He reminds Moses that he will adopt Israel. Verse 7. And make them heirs of the promise. Verse 8. I do hope you see that verses 1 to 8 are a glorious picture of the gospel. 
God reveals himself to sinners in the Lord Jesus. He remembers his covenants. That he's going to make this new covenant or or this this, uh, renewed covenant. That God will change the hearts of man because they can't do it themselves. Jeremiah 31, 31 following, reaffirmed in Hebrews chapter 10. I will put my law in your mind. I will write it on your hearts. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. God redeemed his people through Christ's work on the cross. Galatians 6 tells us, doesn't it, that through faith in Christ we are adopted into God's family as his children, more literally his sons, which means, like just as God was encouraging Moses, we are heirs of the inheritance of the promise of eternal life. When Moses is at such a low point, thinking that this has been an almighty botch up. God responds by reminding him of his glorious saving work. How much do we often need to be encouraged and comforted with the truths of God's saving work in our lives? That when things are a mess, when doing God's will doesn't seem to be going according to plan, when we might be disliked by others, when we face opposition, when we just feel like a failure. But we just need God to reach down to us and remind us of his glorious gospel, that he has saved us in his love, he has redeemed us through the cross, that he has a plan for us. He's adopted us. We're his children and he has given us this glorious promise to hold on to. Now we could say, oh that's great and Moses is off again, but it only works with Moses to a certain degree. It's just another picture of you and I often that we need that continuous encouragement to keep going, don't we? We need to be keep reminding of who we are in Christ because in verses 9 to 12, Moses reports it to the Israelites. He's ready and raring to go again. He goes out and reminds them, but they don't listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. The Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites aren't going to listen to me, Why is Pharaoh going to listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? He still thinks he isn't the man for the job. Yes, he might be encouraged and comforted. But verse 12 and verse 30 are clear that he just doesn't think he's the man. And do you know what? He shouldn't think that. And we shouldn't think that we are the right people. We should keep reminding ourselves that God is the one doing the work. And we need to be coming more often than we do in humility and dependence. Willing to go out, but knowing we go out in the strength of God, not our strength. 
And we see, don't we, that the Israelites are just so discouraged. That's why they won't listen. But that isn't the reason to give up. Moses is called to be obedient to God, just like we, in discouragement, are called to keep going for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the kingdom of God. They were discouraged and absorbed in their suffering. And Moses is sort of like, well, you're better off sending somebody else. Remember the Gospels when the disciples just keep getting it wrong, even when Jesus shows the mighty hand of God at work, and he, he says to them, doesn't he, why have you still no faith? I can show you so much. I can do so much for you. Yet if we've not got faith, then what's the point? Moses is called to be obedient to God. Just as we are called to be obedient to Christ, we need to keep going and keep trusting God. And finally we see in verses 6, 28 to 7, 7, obedience in weakness. We're reminded once again in this section of the power of God and that his word is powerful and mighty as well as his actions. Moses carries on in verse 30. He keeps going on about his faltering lips even though God's given him Pharaoh. Aaron, sorry. But God still says, no, you're going to go. You are going to go. And so God encourages Moses again. Which this time leads to obedience in verse 6. And what is striking is what God says to Moses. He says in verse 1, Lord, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Now the NIV adds in the word like. And it isn't actually there in the Hebrew. What God is saying is that Moses will be God to Pharaoh. Functionally, he will function as God in this situation. Now in Egyptian royal sort of ideology, Pharaohs were considered to be divine. They were... They were considered as divine. I think I sort of said a few weeks ago, Pharaoh thinks of himself this sort of demigod in charge of everything. So by calling Moses God by God, God's beating Pharaoh on his own game. He wants to show Pharaoh that he isn't in control, that he hasn't got the mighty hand, but actually God has. And God is working through this mere man to bring about his promise, his plan. And that Pharaoh hasn't got a chance. And not only that, Aaron will be like a prophet to Moses. Aaron will be the one who brings the word of the Lord to Pharaoh. He is continually encouraging Moses that God is in control. Verse 3, God will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will bring Israel out of Egypt by his hand, verses 4 to 5, and then the Egyptians will know that God is the Lord, that God is Yahweh, the great I Am. 
There will be absolute no mistake who the real power is here. The creator God. And Moses, we are told, and Aaron, did just as the Lord commanded them. No more excuses. Just faithfulness. To go out in the name of the Lord. You know, it's quite easy, isn't it? To sort of empathise with Moses, if we're honest. He's called to a special task, yet faces uh, discouragement, despondency on the way. It's no wonder he doesn't want the job. I don't think we'd want the job, would we really, if we're honest half the time? And it's true, isn't it, that as Christians, we often allow setbacks to sort of rule our lives. We, we allow setbacks in our, in our life to affect how our Christian life's going to work out. Even our relationship with God. Yet God often pushes us like Moses to reach limits we don't even think are possible. But let me tell you, like Moses, we have been recreated in God's image through Christ. We are now called to be image bearers of God. To bear the image of God in this world. Yet even in this amazing transition that we go through, this transformation, we tend to follow the pattern of Moses, don't we? Not Jesus. We know what the Bible tells us. As I keep telling you, we know that God has a plan for us. That the work that he started in us, it, it will come to completion. He wants to reveal his glory through us, the church. Jesus tells us to shine the light of the gospel into the world. Yet we also know that the Christian life will be hard. So it's in these times that the gospel should become more precious to us. And as we live out the gospel and in the gospel and through the gospel, we are to be the image of God to the world. We are to proclaim and show and live out the glory of God in our lives. For all to see. We might not be standing before kings and queens. But we're standing in a dark world. That so desperately needs the gospel. Therefore we as Christians in the church. Just like Moses need to trust God's word. Even more and more. And encourage one another in the glorious truth of the gospel. But we must be obedient to. Living out the gospel faithfully sharing the word of the Lord and trusting in his mighty hand to fulfill his will and promises in us. Why? Because, therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And as we go out into this week, may we go out in the power of your spirit and in the assurance of your amazing word. May we bear your image in all that we do this week. May your light shine through us. May the gospel be evident in the way we talk, in the way we live and act. And may we keep trusting you, especially when it's hard. Keep trusting your promises. Keep trusting your word 
all that you have done for us, all that you will do for us. And help us to remind ourselves of the glorious truths of the gospel. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.